Hey everybody, uh, Adil Marcy here with another episode of Adil Marcy Unplugged, and today we got our very good friend and uh, new hopeful returning guest, Mikel Dia. Uh, Mikel is the owner of WhiteCoatDigital.com too. Did I get your website right? Yeah, WhiteCoatDigital.com. That's cool. right. I'm going to ask you how you came up with that name in a minute, but seriously. Sure. Um, Mikel and I actually got introduced through a fellow friend of ours that's going to be on the show soon, a guy called Joss, who I'm not going to try and pronounce his surname because I can never say it. It's really <laughs> Is it weird. Agyar? Agyar, I think. I think it's Agyar, but you know what? I, I messed up so much. I, I just never want... I'm just like, no. It's like people yeah. mess up my name. I'm like, you know what? Find an easy way to say my name or just, just go with like something else. Just go with Adil. It's so much easier than trying to pronounce my surname. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. But uh, so yeah. Anyway, so we've got um, Mikel here, who is freaking awesome in his stuff. We actually met through a business JV, which he was super patient with me, though we're producing. I can hear your bags. cat in the background. Yeah, he's like really loud. Um, and he some food <laughs> for him as well. I think he's hungry. Thank you. That's funny. Um, yeah, sorry. He's just like meowing his little head off because he's like, I want food. That's pretty much all he wants. Anyway, so uh, everyone on this podcast is familiar. That's my co-host, Chase. For the people that are here, he's currently uh, chilling out at the moment in his cage because he's, you know, just got two for the time being. Um, but yeah, shit, what was I going to say? So, Mikel, tell us a little bit more about how you came into, like, business and whitecoatdigital.com. Like, how did you even come up with the entire concept? I'm just curious on this. Yeah, sure. Uh, let me give you a little bit of backstory in terms of... Uh, what I do and how I got here. So I, I lived in London for three years in the UK. Uh, I moved there in 2011. Uh, basically, in 2008, I started a t-shirt business, randomly enough, in Toronto, Canada. I'm from Toronto, uh, Canada in the house. And basically, uh, we started a t-shirt business. And what we, my business partner and I, we had no idea how to like sell to people outside of our close friends and network. And I started researching, I started learning about, you know, internet marketing and figuring out how to sell these t-shirts online, figuring out how to grow kind of an online business. And I started getting super fascinated with all of these people who were making millions of dollars through the internet, working from their laptop, Obviously, I was sold a lot on this whole laptop lifestyle that doesn't really exist. It exists to some degree, but not the way that marketers preach it. Uh, it doesn't really work the same way. You know, the get rich quick and, you know, press a couple buttons and go sit on the beach and make money uh, doesn't Wait, work. Wasn't that like the big rage in 2009, 2000, 2011? It was all like push button three steps and you're making money. Kind yeah, of exactly. And, and that's... I kind of got caught up into that world of like just this idea. It wasn't so much the the world itself because I'm I'm I work very hard and I have no problem working, but it was just this concept of being able to make money from my laptop and then enjoying the rest of my time and not have to be in an office. Uh, I I went to school as an engineer and then I worked as an engineer for about six months. And I hated my life so miserably. I had to drive to the office, took about an hour and a half in traffic in the mornings. I would sit behind a computer doing AutoCAD drawings all day long. For people who don't know what AutoCAD is, it's just like 
this mapping software that allows you to draw out plans and you know if you look at if you think of blueprints those are mostly kind of done through those kinds of drawing softwares and I would just spend all my days doing that behind a computer and then drive another hour and a half home in traffic and it was just the most miserable thing so this idea of working from my computer and being able to live anywhere in the world was super super appealing to me so I started I started learning about it. I, you know, I was doing it for this t-shirt business that we started, but then I started learning of, you know, SEO and um, how to rank on Google and that kind of stuff. So I also started a few different types of projects to try and make money online, to try to build an online business uh, outside of my t-shirt business. And I remember I started a, a, a website called qualitysurvivalknives.com, which was super random because I know nothing about survival. I just I was like, well, this is a pretty good niche according to Google and looking at Google searches. And I was like, okay, I could write a couple. My, my roommate at the time, uh, he had a, a whole bunch of these little survival knives. Like he's just kind of a an enthusiast of knives, I guess. So I just took all these high quality pictures, wrote these articles to try to get them ranked on Google. Uh, and... Then I, I remember I, I spent a whole bunch of time learning about this whole SEO backlinking stuff. Uh, and I was like, I, I, I can't be bothered with this. This takes way too long. I want to make money today. I don't want to make money in like freaking 12 months from now when these articles are ranked and, you know, they're finally in number one. So then I started learning about like pay-per-click advertising on Google specifically. And I set up some ads for that particular website. And I remember uh, I had I, I gave myself a one hundred dollar credit like budget, right? I, I put one hundred dollars of into ads, and I didn't really pay attention to it. I didn't really look at it too much for like about a week, and approximately seven days. I remember getting a, a, an email saying I made my first commission. And I was so ecstatic. I was so pumped. Uh, the commission was only $5.20, <laughs> but it didn't matter, right? It was working. I was like so excited that <laughs> it worked. But then I went into my Google account and I realized that I spent the entire $100 budget to make that $5.23. And I was like, fuck this shit. That, that doesn't work. Like, I'm not, how does this, how does this make sense? I can't. I can't be trading $100 for $5.23. And so anyways, long story short, I gave up that website because uh, that didn't do much for me. And I didn't really have a passion for survival knives or anything like that. So um, sure enough, what ended up happening is I decided to go to the UK. My, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, Congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. She, uh, she had gotten a job in, in London and uh, I decided, you know what, uh, clearly this whole survival knife website isn't going to make me rich right now. Um, I definitely am still, you know, because I had that success, even though it's not really a success, but because I made that first sale, it kind of sparked that interest. It sparked that, um, that appetite in a sense and it started getting me more excited that I wanted to figure this out. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to keep learning this stuff. Uh, but I just didn't have an idea. I didn't know what kind of business I was going to start. I didn't know what kind of 
website I was going to build. Um, my t-shirt business wasn't doing as well as I kind of wanted it to. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to get out a loan from the bank and, and go to London and do my MBA. So I went to the UK to do my MBA. And during that year that I was doing my MBA, uh, I met a business partner over there, both an entrepreneur, randomly enough, both from Toronto. Uh, and we ended up after our MBA, uh, I continued throughout my MBA, I spent like you know, 80% of my time studying digital marketing and learning online business and sales funnels and uh, all of that stuff. And, you know, the other 20% of my time, you know, kind of doing my MBA work that I should have been doing uh, a lot more of. But uh, myself and this guy, um, we ended up starting a Mandarin language school in, in London, wow. which was super random because I don't speak Chinese. I've also never even been to China. We've just had this opportunity to license um, an entire Mandarin curriculum, basically. And that's what we decided to do. Uh, it, it was very random, but we kind of saw saw the opportunity, right? There was, there was a few kind of competitors, but none doing really well. And, you know, with my digital marketing knowledge and experience and just continuously applying this whole digital marketing stuff and, and his knowledge of, you know, setting up physical uh, businesses and logistics, what we decided to do is create this Mandarin school and we set up a, a sales funnel. Basically, we created a, a sales funnel where we set up some Facebook ads to attract people who wanted to learn Mandarin. Um, and within three months, we were making 15,000 pounds a month. Uh, we grew it rapidly. Um, and then within eight months, we kind of got an opportunity. Um, the, the company who let us license their, um, their curriculum uh, decided to buy us out. So we, we ended up with a successful exit. We, we basically built this business in eight months and sold it for uh, close to half a million dollars. So it was super, super exciting for the fact that A, okay, we made some money, but B, um, that I could, this whole, you know, internet marketing stuff was working, right? I, I built a, a funnel, I built a, a system that allowed us to target people online and turn them into customers, turn them into clients. And um, it was super exciting. So from there, um, this was in back in 2012, uh, we sold it in 2013. From there, um, I started another business with that same partner. Uh, we kind of took our knowledge of the Mandarin world and, and kind of languages and we started a tech business uh, in the language space, which was a an app, uh, it's called Lingos. And it's basically a platform to connect language learners and language teachers uh, together, right? So we kind of saw this opportunity that this could be much bigger than just a Mandarin school and much bigger than just a physical location. If you could just give the opportunity for language learners to find teachers, you know, think of it like Airbnb, but instead of uh, finding rooms, you're finding language teachers based on your needs, based on your goals, uh, based on your location. So we started up that business uh, and to date that business has raised just over a million dollars or we're, we're sitting at around 700 and something thousand pounds because uh, we raised all of our capital in uh, in the UK. Wow. So that business is doing well. We're, we're growing that business and I'm 
I'm very proud of it. Um, but myself and my wife, we, we had a kind of a pull back to Toronto. We wanted to move back to uh, our hometown, be with our family, be with our friends. And, you know, my passion really kept driving me, which was digital marketing, you know, building and growing online businesses. And as much as I love the technology side, as much as I love my, my software company that I've built, um, I, it wasn't really, the language space wasn't my passion. What, what, what I was passionate about was figuring out how to find random people on the internet and converting them into buyers for our particular product. Um, so one of our, we were three co-founders in that um, software startup. One of them ended up becoming CEO. Myself and my wife uh, moved back to, uh, to Toronto. And that's when I started White Coat Digital. So basically that takes us into 2014. I founded White Coat Digital, uh, which is an agency um, specifically to help businesses build automated systems to grow their, their online sales. And that's what we focus on. We help small businesses, we help coaches, consultants, um, and really various types of businesses in, in multiple different markets. And what we do is help them attract their dream client on the internet, wherever they may be, and build sales funnels or systems to convert that dream client into an actual customer, into an actual client uh, for that, that business. So that's basically where we're at. And that takes us to right now. And um, that's how you and I met or you were doing a little bit of work for one of my clients. And uh, yeah, that takes us to today. Yeah, I mean, seriously, that's kind of a one hell of an adventure. So I've got to ask really, how did you? Well, not really, how did you get into it? But like, how did you find the startup for the um, for like, for your tech stuff? How did you go around the startup process? Because a lot of people I know, uh, want to go that route, but they just get really worried about uh, how they're going to raise capital, how they're going to come up with a good idea, that kind of thing. So, like, what was the first steps that you started out with that? Because that's interesting. Yeah. So it's tough, right? The thing is, you can't you can't have the mindset of, you know, I need to raise capital. I need to do this. Although you do, you do have to do all of these things. Uh, it really comes down to having the right team and having the right plan and really having the right market, especially in the startup world of raising, you know, where you're trying to build a, a tech business where you need to pay developers um, and developers cost a lot of money. So in that world, yeah, you have to raise capital, but you also have to look at the opportunity and be driven by that opportunity because if you don't believe in your kind of business, if you're kind of just doing it as a side project, um, it's not really going to work. And at the end of the day, what do investors care about? Well, they care about money, right? So you have to look at it and say, will this thing make money? Do I 120% believe that if we build this business to our particular vision, it will make a lot of money, right? And that's what it comes down to because when you sit across an, uh, the table from an investor, that's what they care about. They're going to be sold. You know, investors are just regular people, right? It's people who, you know, some of them aren't that smart, to be honest. They just so happen to have money and they want to grow their money. So 
at the end of the day, you're sitting across the table from someone and it's not like you're sitting across the table from a bank where you have to really kind of show these super projections and numbers and all they care about is do they believe that you will make this business money? And if you have that passion, if you have that true belief yourself, then that comes across, that exudes that, you know, that passion, it comes across and it kind of is infectious. Other people start to believe it. Other people start to think that, holy shit, I better jump on this train because if I don't, I might miss out on this massive opportunity. Now, of course, there has to be other factors. You know, your idea has to be viable. You have to have proof of concept, right? Most investors won't invest without a proof of concept. So you kind of have to figure out a way to bootstrap your your startup um, to get to a point where you can prove that concept so that you you can, again, it's all about confidence, right? It's all about when you sit across the table from an investor, you need to be so confident that it's going to work that they then buy into that confidence. And if you don't have that confidence, then they're you know, they're going to see through it. So part of having that confidence is making sure that you have proof of concept. You know, if you're sitting there across the table from an investor and you're, you know, you're like, well, you know, we haven't really proved the concept yet. Nobody has really bought into it. Nobody has signed up for our, our, our software, but we do believe it's going to work. You know, the investor is going to be like, well, you're just all right. Shit. Come on, dude. Yeah, trying to take exactly. Money from me. Exactly. So show me that it's actually going to work. Show me proof that it is actually working. And then I'll consider putting money in. Right. And that's how investors think. And, and that's that's what matters. Um, the second biggest thing that investors look at, and we were very lucky in that sense, is the team, the management team. Like, what is your track record? What can you show? And it doesn't have to be, you know, incredible but just list your track record and your whole team's track record to make it appealing to the investor again it's it's just a, a, a regular person sitting across the table who just so happens to have money right so from your perspective you need to make sure that when you're sitting across the table from that person and you have your co-founders next to you that as a team, you look at that, and again, you're so confident in the fact that, hey, look at this team that we have, right? This guy has been able to do this, 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 and this, and this guy compliments him because he's been able to do this, 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 and this, and he focuses on this area of the business. And then we got this incredible developer who does this, this, you know. If you don't have that confidence in your own team, then neither will investors, right? So right. show your track record, show your, um, you know, because that's really what, what, that's the first thing that, especially in startup world, when you, when, when, uh, investors are betting and there's such high risk, they're investing in people. They're not investing in, in an idea. Anyone and their mothers can have an idea, right? It, they're investing in the people behind that idea. You know, it, that's really what it comes down to at that particular level. Yes, the idea has to be viable, but, Really, it's about the team who's going to turn that idea into a business. Do you believe in that team? Hmm. See, that's actually really interesting because if um, it is ideally down to like how your team sees and how it, it is a sales pitch, essentially. Yeah. That's all it 100%. is. And not being able to 
deliver on that is um, a massive letdown for a lot of like, investors, especially when they look at things because they are putting money in depending on how much they put in. But kind of jumping away from that, though, because something you said to me earlier like really got into my mind was, why did you, um, you, you yourself, you gave yourself this budget um, of, what was it, $100 to, to try and make yeah. a turnover? I mean, yeah. it's a good thing that you actually even, you made five bucks because a lot of people make like zero money on a hundred bucks. Um, was it that moment that you just got like, your, you wet your appetite, you got slightly addicted and that was basically how you started looking at different avenues of how you can do this? That is exactly when it started. It was this, this, well, okay. I've always had this underlying, you know, ever since I was a kid, this huge drive, right? I've always wanted to, make a lot of money in my life i'll be completely blunt a, a lot of my mindset and motivation was money but mo but more importantly was also just having and building something that i could be extremely proud of now for me proud and money kind of go hand in hand right i i look at I, maybe it's the wrong way to look at life it's just how i look at life but success is rewarded by by money monetary so i look i keep score with money so i look at it in that way and i've always had that massive drive as a kid maybe it was you know growing up listening to hip-hop and all of these rappers talking about how they started from nothing and grow yeah. you know driving these bentleys and i was influenced by that probably as a kid uh, weren't uh, we all? I mean, come on, think about it. Like, if you grew up in the '90s, you know for a fact that was like the big influence that you had. Exactly, and you just wanted that life, and and um, you know, I knew that I'm I'm not a rapper. I'm by no means, I can't even put two. I can't rhyme two words together. So I'm sure you, know, you could the, rhyme two words together. Come yeah, on. I, I maybe, maybe, but it's definitely not my forte. So you know, like I knew that you know what what would get me to that level, to that success, to that lifestyle was my determination and my drive. Um, I just didn't really know the avenue, right? I didn't know my path. But, you know, one of the lessons that my dad has always taught me as a, since I was a kid was that it doesn't matter how you get to your destination. All that matters is that you know your destination and you can see it clearly, vividly. You can describe it. You can smell it. You can taste it. You can, you can visualize your destination. The path that you take to get there is irrelevant because if you know your destination, eventually you'll get there. You might take a, a path, you know, you might go down the left side versus the right side, but Eventually, you'll always get to your destination if that's really your core desire. And I didn't know, you know, at, at the time, you know, when my dad taught me that as a kid, I didn't, I always was like, well, yeah, okay, cool, but how the hell do I get there? You know, like, I can, I know where I want to be, but like, how do I lay out my plan to kind of get there? You know, I told you I was an engineer, so I'm very logical in that way, right? I'm very step by step driven. Um, so I just didn't know how to get there. And to be honest, at the beginning, I didn't really know that I was passionate about digital marketing. I didn't really know that online marketing was what I loved. I just kind of looked at my vision and, and just tried things. I just tried different things. Like, like I said, survival knives, 
survival yeah. knives have nothing to do with anything that I enjoy. Like I, I couldn't care less, but I just tried things. I just tried to kind of keep going towards my vision regardless of, you know, same thing with a Mandarin school. Like if, if it came down to me thinking about my plan too much, I wouldn't have started a Mandarin language school because why, why would I do that? Right. I, I, what can I actually give to the Mandarin community or to people, you know, there's, there's no real reward, but it helped me move towards my path, right. It, it, and uh, towards my destination, I should say. So, so yeah, that, that sparked that little mini success is what kind of really kind of sparked my, my, like this, this appetite. And I only re recently, to be honest, started realizing how passionate I am about digital marketing, huh. how passionate I am about, you know, it, it was only since basically my starting up this language, this tech startup, um, that I realized that, you know what, it's not so much, I love businesses and I love growing businesses and I'm an entrepreneur by, you know, by nature, but Really, that's when I'm like, you know what, the thing that I love the most about this startup, the thing I love the most about this challenge, like I, I hate raising money. It's, it is a pain in the ass. I hate development. Like I, I like looking at products. Um, I like looking at, you know, figuring out how best to kind of use the user experience. But the driving factor behind it is because I want to increase conversions. That's like how do I get those numbers up and how do I kind of continue to increase and improve? And for me, that was kind of that benchmark. And that's where I realized that, wow, I'm, I'm really passionate about this stuff. Like I would spend my nights reading about digital marketing, buying books, figuring out how to increase conversions and how to drive traffic. And, you know, I studied this stuff like it was no tomorrow. And I didn't realize that I was studying it because it, I, you know, it kind of turned into a passion after studying it so much and learning so much and becoming kind of a, an expert in the field. That's what kind of drove that passion. Um, yeah. So, yeah. See, I can, I can relate to that and I totally get it. Um, your, your dad's advice was absolutely golden. Like, just a heads up for anyone that missed that, go back and listen to that part where Mikhail's uh, dad or Mikhail's dad actually told him that. Um, because it's so powerful. As long as you know where you're, as long as you have a clear goal, your brain will find a way to get there. I mean, exactly. I, I don't know if you found that, but I have. I, I find that in fights when I used to do um, Thai boxing. Like, I know my end goal was that I wanted to finish my Thai boxing career uh, undefeated without a single loss in my career. Wow. And I did. Wow. Um, I, I mean, I'll tell you about it afterwards because, you know, something that's there, but. I train like crazy for most of the time, and now I'm doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's very strange because I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for a completely different reason. Um, whereas before it was very competitive, like, yeah, let's fight, let's go do this. Now it's kind of very meditative. I just sit there and I meditate. In fact, I've been told off by one of my instructors before this recently. He was like, dude, I, I, the problem that you have is the problem that I tell everyone else. I was like, what do you mean? The opposite problem that everyone else has. He goes, you are too relaxed and too chilled when you roll. Like there's no urgency for you to hurt anyone or try and get a you know scramble or anything like you just like they get past your guard and then you just fight off a weird position and you don't really care. Whereas yeah. um, other guys, I tell them that you guys need to like 
calm down, relax, let your opponent practice. You let them practice all day long. He goes, there's, there's a point that becomes diminishing returns for you. Um, so I'm like, all right, cool. So we had this huge conversation about it. It was really, really cool. But what, but what I'm getting with that is it's very similar. Like once I have a goal set in mind of how I want to submit someone or how I want to win something, my brain finds a way to give me that option. Whether it looks like I'm about to lose, it's just a matter of the wills. Who has the stronger will to implement their game and their mindset? But when it comes down to business, I don't know if you found this as well. It can be a bit of a pain in the ass when you're like, I'm going for this, I'm going for this, I'm going for this. Nothing's working. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It, it can be. And it's one of the worst. It's, it's, the, it's the death of ego, essentially, is what it is. Because you go through like a thousand ego deaths before you actually hit that point. And, and the thing that most, the thing that most people fail to understand, and uh, you know, I, I, I have a, you know a lot of friends who kind of want to be entrepreneurs, um, but they just don't really have it. And the reason why they don't have it is because they look at failure as a failure, and. You know, everyone tells you that, okay, you learn from failures and all that stuff. And yeah, in theory, it's easy. In theory, it makes sense. In theory, sure, you learn from your failures, but failing sucks. It's not fun. You know, like when you, you have a goal and you want to achieve it and you don't, it sucks. The difference between an entrepreneur and a somebody who says they want to be an entrepreneur is the minute you hit that failure, it drives you more. As an entrepreneur, you get, you don't hit your goal, and the the thing that gets you upset is what fuels you to do it again. It's what fuels you to kind of say, you know what, I'm I'm not letting this stupid thing not happen. Like I'm too I'm too smart for this. I'm you know I'm not letting this stop me from achieving my goals. I'm going to find another way. That's what drives an entrepreneur versus people who aren't, once they hit that failure, they kind of say, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I can't achieve this particular thing. And then they decide to go a different path. So I find, you know, entrepreneurship is, is really rooted by competition within yourself, right? Like I look at entrepreneurship as you're competing against yourself to the ultimate level, almost, you know, if you could compare it to a sport, it's like golf, right? You, there's no other sport where it is you against you and only you. Well, entrepreneurship is the same thing. Your, your competition isn't really your competition. Your competition is just other people. Like it, it's not really your competition, just like in golf. Yeah, they're fighting against themselves to get better. And in my opinion, that's what building a business is all about. It's about fighting against yourself to continuously improve, to continuously get better. And when you don't do well, you pick up your ball and you do it again and you do it again and you do it again until you, you get to a place where now you're hitting par. Now you're, you're under, you know, I'm not even a big golf fan, so I don't know why I'm using this analogy necessarily, but <laughs> I, I think it kind of works. <laughs> I just kind of made it up on the spot, but well, isn't that I think what we it kind of works. I think that's what we do anyway. It's like, what are you doing? Making shit up on the spot. Why? Yeah, because it works. Exactly. Or because I think it works. I don't know. It sounds good. <laughs> That's what marketers do, right? It's like, oh, I'm making this shit up. Why? Because uh, it sounds good. Yeah. That's pretty much it. 
that's just our lives entirely. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, sorry, I interrupted your um, very, very elaborate golf analogy, which you're like, why the fuck do they start with golf? Yeah, <laughs> but I think you get the point, right? Yeah. Like, it's, you know, it is about being able to fight with yourself, being able to compete against yourself. And when you hit a, that failure, when you don't, or, you know, put, put that in, in quotations, because failure is, you know, is subjective and, and whatnot. But when you, when you don't reach your goal, that's what should fuel you to actually reach your goal the next time. Yeah, I, I agree with you entirely. In fact, uh, I th- who was it? I think it was Michael Jordan that said it as well. Um, he goes, I failed more times than I've succeeded. And, yeah. I, and, and the reason I succeed is because I keep getting up. And of course, the old Japanese proverb, which works so well, that's been overused to death, but it's actually so true, is um, fall down seven, get up eight. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is, you know, with Michael Jordan, I'm a huge basketball fan. Uh, I, that's my, you know sport of choice in a sense but it's true like you you look at it and you see all of michael jordan's success right you see everything that Chase, he's accomplished but <laughs> you also don't see how many missed shots he's made or he's missed in in the gym you know you don't see if you look at his career well he wasn't you know 50 percent of his shots didn't go in <laughs> you know everyone looks at it and they're like oh yeah 50 percent of his shots went in yeah well 50 of them didn't so yeah. You know, he had to get to that point, and um, it's that drive. It's it's that co- inner competition. That's what makes you know great basketball players so great is is that inner competition with themselves to just continuously get better. And they will stop at nothing to get better. They will stop at nothing. And that's the key. Oh, okay. You know, because you are a basketball fan, you would actually be able to relate to this because uh, this person is famous in Toronto, as far as I know, um, Vince Carter. Yeah, buddy. Oh, dude, Vin's sanity was incredible. For the people that have never seen his stuff, just quickly go onto Google and type in Vince Carter slam dunk contest. Yeah. This dude was, and the thing that made him crazy was that he would do those level of slam dunks in an actual game. I know. <laughs> yeah. Those were the glory days. Although, actually, the, you know, that, that's not to say much right now. The Raptors are doing quite well, but, um, Back you know, then, those... he, was a, he was an icon. Let's be honest. He was oh, a yeah, exactly. Legend. But, nobody, um, nobody touched him back then in terms of the wow factor. Yeah, even Jordan used to applaud him when he watched the um, slam dunk contest. And, you know, the through the legs thing now has become more and more elaborate. But you'll never beat the original, which was him. No, exactly. And the way he did it as well with the Tim McGrady uh, bounce Tracy, pass. Tracy, yeah. Tracy, sorry, not Tim. Tracy McGrady bounce pass. But what I'm saying is that um, the reason I bring up Vince is because Vince pushed himself. I mean, at the Olympics, 2000, uh, year 2000 Olympics, he dunked over a seven-foot man. And I don't mean just like he jumped over him and slammed the ball in. No, 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 no. The dude was stood like to take a charge. Vince jumped over his head and pushed his head through his legs and then dunked the ball. It is <laughs> that was awesome, eh? one of the most insane slam dunks you'll ever see in an actual Olympic game. Now, the reason I bring that up is because uh, if I remember correctly, one of my friends told me this because um, you read an interview somewhere. That Vince was asked, okay, so how are you going to top this? He goes, wait till you see a slam dunk contest. And then he did his first slam dunk, which is amazing. And he goes, how are you going to top that? Because if you hear the announcers, like, there's no way he can top this. There's no way he can top this. So and he just six, keeps doing it. Yeah, sticks his elbow in the goddamn hoop. 
<laughs> you know, puts the ball through his legs, jumps from near enough the I was at the baseline, um, sorry, yeah. the free throw line, just to dunk it straight in over his head. Does a three hundred and sixty windmill from behind the freaking backboard. These are like dunks that were just legendary for him. And the only reason he kept doing them was because he wanted to see how much further can I push myself. What yeah. is my breaking point? And yeah. I think as an entrepreneur, and I think you'll be able to relate to this, is that we try and find that point of breakage. Where can I go until I cannot go any further? Yeah, I, I think I think you know what uh, you you bend as much as you can as an entrepreneur, and you you push yourself. And you're right. You you kind of get to a point where as we we as entrepreneurs and as humans don't believe that there's a limit, you know, to, well, that's not true. Lots of people believe there's a limit to their success. Entrepreneurs tend to not believe in that limit. They tend to see the limit in terms of their vision. And then when they get to that limit, they say, Hey, wait a minute, there's more to this. I can, I can keep going. I can, I can push further, further until, you know, you really don't know. And one of the, you know, one of the analogies that I always love to use as a, for entrepreneurs is a lot of people, you know, most of society, you picture, you know, you're walking through a forest and, you know, you have kind of trees everywhere and most of society decide, hey, you know what, here's a path right here that people have already walked down, right? It's, I can see it. I can see the end of that path. I can, I can clearly walk down this path and know where I'm going. And most of society takes that path. Most of society says, you know what, let's take that path because I can see it, it's not an unknown. Entrepreneurs tend to say, hey, but there's bushes on my left, there's bushes on my right, but maybe I can get to that pot of gold faster if I go through the bushes. Sure, I'm, I can't see where I'm going, I have no clue, I, all I see is bushes, and maybe I'm not going to be going to the right direction, but there is a chance that I'm actually going to get there much faster and I'm going to have my own control. So I'm going to take my hacksaw and I'm going to go down these bushes and I'm just going to carve my own path. I'm going to find my own way to kind of this pot of gold, whatever that pot of gold may be. So, you know, I, I really believe that as as entrepreneurs, as humans, you kind of have to, you have to decide what is your path? Like, do you want to follow that path of, you know, certainty and what everybody else has done? Or do you want to take a risk and go down another path where the rewards are probably significantly higher if you're willing to hack away at the bushes, if you're willing to do the work to get there? So... That's so true. I mean, it is just a game of who's willing to go off the beaten path. Because if you think about it, that is, um, someone posted this meme the other day that we made me laugh, which was, you know how entrepreneurs were essentially known as the black sheep of the family? Yeah. Yeah, they created a meme where they got a lion image and basically just overlaced it with like uh, a black dark color so it looked like a melanistic lion and put the words, <laughs> the new black sheep of the family. Nice. Because it's true. Like, we we are what we do. We fight our way through hordes of disappointment. I mean, it's true. And I'm going to ask it do you read any books in particular? I read tons of books. What's your favorite? Okay. What's your favorite five books that you'd say are the most influential to your life? Uh, So, in terms of business books, um, I will say that. Let's do um, five business, five personal. 
Uh, I only read business to be completely right, honest. So, um, Four Hour Workweek is probably one of the books that sparked a lot of this in my mind. Um, that was definitely a huge, a huge book for me. Uh, recently, I just read the, my first kind of Dan Kennedy book, uh, which was the No BS, uh, the No BS Guide to to sell, Sales or something like that. I don't remember. What he always has these weird. Uh, yellow. Oh, uh, I think that was the one for, ah, oh, what's it called? Brand building. No, no, it's the no BS something, uh, sales success. I hold on. He always has like these weird yeah, titles. He really yeah, the no, the no BS, the no BS sales success in the new economy. Oh yeah. Fair enough. That's a pretty good book. It's incredible. So I actually, I just ordered another eight Dan Kennedy books two days ago <laughs> because yeah. of reading that book. Um, so I would say the four hour work week, this book particularly just sparked a lot of my, you know, thinking where I am in my life in terms of sales and, and thinking about that process. So I would say that's up there, um, as of right now, ready, fire, aim by, by Michael, Michael Masterson. Yep, Masterson is an incredible book in terms of, um, you know, mindset of growing big businesses, um, I would say Rich Dad, Poor Dad was a huge book that influenced me in terms of finances, in terms of money. Uh, but yeah, that, that was a pretty big game changer for me. Uh, you know, I've studied Russell Brunson a lot, so I could say the dot-com secrets book, but I've studied him so much that, you know, a lot of the stuff that I read in that book uh, I had already known because of, of you know, other yeah. trainings that I've gone through. If anyone is looking to do any sort of internet marketing, um, dot com secrets is huge. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is a great book. Stephen um, Covey, great guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, Richard Branson's Losing My Virginity. Uh, Richard Branson was a huge like idol to me when I was growing up. Just this renegade millionaire entrepreneur. And then billionaire <laughs> a, entrepreneur. Yeah, billionaire entrepreneur in reality. So, um, yeah, I would say those are few. I'm just kind of looking through my bookshelf, right? Bookshelf as I'm speaking right now to see if there's anything else that kind of sticks out. See, I'm going to go ahead and say this much. There is one book that I'd recommend for you to read if you haven't already read it. Have you read The 48 Laws of Power? I do. It's right here. 48 Laws of Power. I love every book Robert Greene has ever put out. I mean, I'm trying to get him on the goddamn show. It's really, uh, it's incredible. So if anyone out there in my network that's listening to this knows Robert Greene, please hook us up. I'd love to get him on the show. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, four, 48 Laws of Power. Uh, even The Art of Seduction is a great book as well. Such three strashes of war, mastery, and the 50th law. Literally every book that guy's written is genius. So whenever I start, whenever I have interns come in, um, those are the books I gift them. Oh, that's like, nice. Like that's the first uh, books I tell them. Like everything you need to know about dealing with people, business, and handling clients. Read these books. Like why? I was like, dude, you're an intern for graphic design, but you're at my company. Yeah. You're gonna have people being dickish to you. You are gonna have to handle sales calls sometimes, and you're gonna have yep. to know what the hell to say to people. And sometimes you might say the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time, and that could cost your ass something quite badly. And I don't mean yeah. for me. It could be from anyone because like the client might say, you know what? I really like working with you guys, but I hate that guy, Jeff. I'll only work with you if you, you know, fire Jeff. I'm like, all right, Jeff, you're worth, I don't know, 
four grand uh, to us at the moment. Uh, this is a $58,000 contract or 58,000 pound contract. Guess what? We're going to have to say goodbye to you. Wow. You know, because there is loyalty, but also there's, you know, financing. You don't want to. Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. You don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. But if you can navigate around, you know, people quite easily with those books, it's just a good way of uh, having it and knowing what to say. By the way, also, um, shout out to my man Ryan Holiday, who actually helped Robert Greene with his book. Uh, trust me, I'm lying. Confessions of Media Manipulators is another good book if you haven't read it. Cool. I never read that one, so I will uh, yeah. add that to my list. Oh, dude, trust me. Like the whole thing, basically, just to give you. A, do you mind if I give you a synopsis? Because I know some. Please people, go. Some people are not into spoilers. I found that out the hard way. I told someone about a book, and they're like, "Dude, I'm never reading it now." I was like, well, I was like there's no anticipation for me." I was like, "You're so weird." Yeah, that is I, weird. I love it when someone tells me. It means I can realize if the book is shit or not, and find a good one that I like. Um, but the entire book is. Do you remember Max Tucker from a few years ago? Like he, he was this guy that basically pissed off a lot of people. Uh, no. Oh, man, Max Tucker did this thing in the start of the 2000s, early 2010, uh, like, you know, um, 2000, 2000, and probably say 12, he was like a big, big hit around that time in the dating world as well, uh, where he was just a guy that just did not give a fuck about anything or anyone. He would just do stuff. Like, he, he got into fights with, like, mascots. He wrote a book called I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. Um, uh-huh. and they hired Ryan Holiday to go ahead and help with the marketing. Now, what Ryan is really good at is bending the rules of the media to suit his agenda. So what he did was um, he saw uh, Tucker Max's book on a billboard uh, in Santa Monica or something. So he pulled over his car with his girlfriend. He climbed up to this billboard, spray-painted it, drove by, and took a photo created a brand new account, went on some geek site, posted it on, like, say, say geek site, it's like Gorka or something, yeah. um, posted uh, an article on Gorka with saying, oh, uh, and posted this photo and saying, I'm so glad that I'm not the only one that hates this asshole, and then started creating, like, fake accounts to, like, bump up that uh, comment section and thread it. It's real <laughs> comments, like, can't believe this asshole's doing this, that, the other, and just, like, tear them down. But it created, like, a lot of negative publicity, but it was publicity nonetheless, and a lot of people became aware of um, Tucker's book. And when he launched it, it became this huge bestseller because so many people were curious as to why they hated this book. Wow. Yeah, and um, he said that you can do it with anything. And I'm like, you can, because news outlets, the way they work out is you can start with a small piece of content on your blog, syndicate that same piece of content on another blog, uh, so it's like at by more bigger blogs than you, and then their stuff is reshared to bigger pieces of media and so on and so forth. So it becomes like this link chain of content until um, you get picked up by a national media outlet. So like something like White Coat Digital, you could do the same thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you can, I'll definitely read it. Yeah. Something I've been planning and playing with for a while that's been really hard for me to do because uh, ethnicity is a big thing for me. Um, so if I play this wrong, I can get arrested. But now I have my agency. I can definitely do it. And that is, uh, we're, we're actually getting a building. We're renting out a building soon, um, going actual big on it. But what I'm going to do, and you guys had it first here, go ahead and use it if you want. I took it from the great, I think it's not Adam, Ralph Ginsberg, the famous copywriter um, from the 1900s, I can't remember. What he used to do was he would get himself arrested. <laughs> okay. And then you'd have fake paparazzi take photos of him being arrested and then he would write the ad that would go in the newspaper. Wow. Like, um, what was it? Ralph Ginsburg, for infamous ad man of uh, wherever it was, 
has been arrested under, and then he'd make some shit up about what he was arrested, fraudulent, uh, claiming things that he wasn't claimed for. The FTC has shut him down, all this, that, the other. Um, this is a man that once claimed that he could double your business in 30 days without doubling your overhead. Or some shit. I'm making that up, but anyway, you'd say something outrageous. Right. And people would read this. They would read this, and then, like, they would never follow it with another piece that he was acquitted of all charges, he was convicted, nothing like that. Just the next day, his phone lines just blow up like crazy because people are like, uh, are you the Ralph Ginsburg that actually got these results for so-and-so? That's crazy. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time. And um, could you just imagine how that would work in today's media as well? Yeah, that'd be that'd be incredible. Actually, it's pretty smart. Yeah, again, I always tell people look at the ads of the past that are like outrageously crazy, and I guarantee you can run them today again. They'll still give you good results. Yeah, Not great, exactly. but still good results. Like PT PT Barnum is another great guy. Yeah, his his whole. Th- if you've ever read another, if you've never read his biography, I suggest you do to everyone listening to this because he was tricked by his family into believing that he owned a, a swamp farm. Um, when he turned 18 he would inherit it it was like a running joke but he believed it so he used it as collateral that he didn't even own the damn farm he used it as collateral for a banking investment to start something for one of his businesses that's hilarious yeah it's, it's crazy but anyway um, kind of like backtracking the reason I asked about the books is because again entrepreneurs love to read books as much as I you know we love books and courses and influences and we like to see what people went through um so my question to you here, especially at that juncture, would be, what would be the syllabus of books? I, I know you recommended a few anyway, but like, what would be the syllabus for people to actually get their heads out of their asses? Because the, fi- the, uh, the mindset battle is one that's toxic as hell. And even my cat agrees, and he doesn't know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> what, would be your, I, what would be your advice on that? I think I think it depends. It depends what you want to accomplish. It depends where you see yourself uh, and what kind of. If you're if you're we're talking about entrepreneurship and building a business, it depends what kind of business you want to build. It depends on um, whether you're trying to build Facebook or you're trying to you know have a, a a simple coaching business that makes you know good money but is also a lifestyle business. You know it, it really. It depends on your goals. Like, I would for sure, if you're looking to build a software, for example, um, two books I would 100% recommend is Hooked and The Lean Startup. And, you know, you have to read those books for you to understand, for you to understand the psychology behind startups and behind getting people to use your startup and getting, getting traction with your startup. So, if that's the type of business you're looking to to build, then follow down the path that's from someone who's already been there, someone who's already done it, and someone who's written books by it. You know, me personally, as much as I do love startups and software, and I, I probably will start another, you know, my own startup. Uh, you know, even though I have one right now, I'll probably start another one uh, at some point in you know in the coming near future, but. I read those books and it changed my perception of how you start a, a startup business. Who wrote Hooked, by the way? I'm curious you didn't mention uh, it. Nir Eyal, I think is how you pronounce his name. So N-I-R is his first name and then E-Y-A-L. Wow. 
That is yeah. an insanely hard name to say. Yeah, exactly. Near EL, I think is his name. So, uh, and it's all about how to build habit forming products. Uh, because, you know, there is to build a habit and to start and to start for people to actually like, you know, pick up Instagram and turn it on every single day and take pictures. You know, there's psychology behind that. There's, there's triggers that happen in people for them to look, to think of Instagram the minute they see a, something that they want to capture, right? And then they just open up Instagram. There's same thing with Facebook. It, it builds that, hab, that habit, right? And um, this book is all about how do you build these habit-forming products that people just constantly want to use and they use it subconsciously. They don't even use it, um, you know, they don't even think about it. They just do it. And it's great. It's, it's like a, a blueprint as to how you build these habit-forming products. And uh, it's written in a very kind of step-by-step -step formulaic way, which I love. You know, for me, I'm That's not like so... That's like dream. That's like essentially kind of like think because it, it caters to the way that you think. Exactly. For me, I'm not a, um, I'm not so much a... I, I don't really like books that are, um, how do you call it, like woo-woo and, and motivational necessarily. I love lessons and I love motivational lessons, but I'm not, I, I like practical books personally. Yeah. I like books that are kind of step-by-step, -step, um, you know, they're guides. They're, they, you look at it and when you read a, a chapter, you're like, hey, I've learned something right now that I can go and apply today. Right. Uh, those are the types of books that I love. Um, so, but again, it depends. It depends on who you are, what you, you know, what kind of person you are, what kind of business you want to build. So I can't really give you a, um, agenda, not an agenda, but a, like a table of contents, uh, unless I know exactly what you're trying to achieve. See, I reckon Hooked would be the perfect book, any, book anyway, even if you're not building a startup, simply because it's again, understanding habit. Yeah, it's great. If you understand habit, you understand how to sell. Because, Absolutely. Because um, it's, uh, by the way, I've literally just ordered that book while we're on the phone. Nice. I um, like it. <laughs> it's great. It's a great, it's a great book. Literally, you'll read from one end to the other and you're going to be like, I can apply this, I can apply that. Like, you know, I, I, I look at it from a startup world, but I also look at it from my digital marketing world. Uh, and because, you know, habits, habits are very they're very important. Like even getting your, your clients to become, to, to become habitual in their nature. It, it will, if they kind of have a habit formed around your services or your company or, you know, you or whatever it is, well, your retention rate is going to skyrocket. It's going to stay really high. They're only going to be thinking of you whenever they need to get a very specific thing done. And it's, it's very, very universal. It works really well for startups, but it's also for, for life in general. Oh, agreed. I mean, you can even apply the same stuff to dating. If you understand yeah. how to basically be more of the type of guy that is, uh, like, for instance, I, I've not even read the book Hooked, but I'm going to assume there's a set essence in that it's become, uh, don't become a burden to do something, but rather become something they want to do. Yeah. So... You know, if that's a th or a service they want to use or a thing they want to do, and how you apply that in your personal life is, don't be a burden to other people, but be the person they want to hang out with. Why do they want yep. to hang out with you? Because you're fun. Yep. 
And that's essentially Instagram in, in a box, essentially. It's just like, why is it fun? Because you're taking photos. There was a need for that, and people are doing it, and now there's filters, and people love it. Yeah, now I will say, you know, this book itself is so much more detailed. Like, it goes into, like, just even on your phone, you know, like one of the triggers, you know, there's different triggers, there's different things, and it'll talk about, you know, on your phone, your icon needs to stand out. It needs to be one of these things that it's it's really kind of much more than just you know ideas and concepts and theories behind you know creating habit forming products. It's it is very much step by step, like a formula to build habit forming products. And if you follow the formula that these guys lay out, um, you'll have a product that people will just instinctually use. They won't even think about it. They'll just use it. And it's, it's pretty sweet. So definitely worth reading. That's awesome. All right, cool. So I'm going to come up to the wrap-up right now simply because I'm looking at my, uh, at my battery life on my Mac and I forgot my damn charger. Um, <laughs> no worries. Always the fun thing. But I was going to say, out of all your advice, if you could give three pieces of advice to any entrepreneur or business owner today, whether they're in business or thinking about an idea or struggling or they're actually hitting the plateau, what three pieces of advice would you give to help them get to the next level? Yeah. Um, so I, I thought about this because you told me to uh, kind of think it through. Um, the very first piece of advice, uh, and you probably would have heard it from Mark Cuban before me and probably a whole bunch of other people before that, is sales cures all. Like, stop building products, stop building services for the idea of, hey, maybe this thing will go viral and it'll grow and we'll just get hundreds of thousands of users. If that happens, awesome, great. Do it, build your, your kind of, you know, <laughs> very fun product and hopefully it grows to the Instagram level. But the reality for most business owners, the reality for most businesses is that you need to make money. Like, Facebook, the only reason they didn't have to think about money for a long time is because they had that insane growth. But the likelihood of your product or your service or whatever getting that kind of growth is ridiculous. It's, it's shooting yourself in the foot. At the end of the day, if you want to raise money, if you want to um, grow your business, if you want to improve your cash flow, if you want to get out of your current situation, sales cures all. So make sure you have a viable revenue model for your business and make sure that you sell the shit out of your services and your products. Don't think of sales as a bad thing. Sales is actually a great thing. You're exchanging value in exchange for money, right? It's, it's an exchange. As long as you provide enough value for what you're asking for, then it's worth it. But sales cures all. And that is something that I back in the day, didn't think about enough. Now it's like my only mindset. Whenever we hit a, a, a problem in our business, like I look at it and I say, you know what, let's make some sales. Let's improve our cash flow. And stress goes away. Life becomes easier. You can deal about with the this delivery and all that stuff later. Focus on selling. So that would be number one. Number two is... We live in a world right now with the internet that allows you to make mistakes. 
So don't measure three times and then cut. I think too many people is too many people nowadays think that they have to get everything perfect before launching. It's so wrong. Do not look at your business as, oh, well, let me make sure I have the perfect video or I have the perfect marketing campaign and all my T's are dotted and all my, sorry, my T's are crossed and my I's are dotted. All my, you know, everything is perfect. My, my product is fully finished and then kind of go and launch it. Forget that. Launch. Measure. That's the beautiful thing about the internet is we can measure things. We can look at things and see what's broken, see what's not working, and we can fix it along the way. But if you delay, you're going to keep delaying because your shit's never going to be perfect. You're going to try and make it perfect, and then you're going to launch it, and it's going to fail, and you're going to be so upset with yourself. You're going to think that, oh, well, how do I improve this thing that I thought was perfect? Well, don't do that. Launch your product, go, and then measure and then cut and then adjust. Don't cut, don't measure three times before cutting. We don't live in that world anymore. We don't, you don't need to kind of go down that path anymore. Um, and my last piece of advice would be in today's world, learn digital marketing. You need to learn it or you need to find experts who understand digital marketing, who understand how to find your dream client, your, your perfect buyer and can market your product or your services online. Because if you want to scale your business to whatever goal you desire, you need to understand how to build an online system that will allow you to achieve that, right? You need to either learn it yourself and do it yourself, in which case you may as well become a marketer, or you need to find experts who can do that. And that's not to plug myself or, you know, there's tons of marketers out there, but you need to learn that because it's how you scale businesses these days. You know, gone are the days of doing a lot of offline marketing sure it'll still work you can still get word of mouth you can still you know go to events and speak on stages and get a whole bunch of people in front of you but why why make it so hard on yourself when you can find your dream client on facebook set up an ad and get them to come to your website and buy your products and then spend as much as you want knowing that you're going to make more money on the back end so learn how that system works learn how that world works because that's how you scale businesses these days yeah it's really those are those are my three pieces of advice and they're actually really stupidly excellent so everyone listening to this go act on them right away don't be a dumbass there you go go act on them. exactly uh mikhail thank you so much for uh taking the time to actually be on the show i hope we can get you back on the show again in the future as well man cool man i appreciate it i i enjoyed our chat and uh, it was great Cool. Guys, go check out whitecoatdigital.com uh, and hit up Mikhail. I mean, the guy's absolutely awesome. Don't call him Michael like my friend Josh does far too often and has kind of <laughs> got me to do it from time to time. Sorry, uh, so many people do. So it's, it's... But it's Mikhail, so that's the right way of saying his name. Um, as always, I'm your host, adlamarchi.com. Go subscribe, check out some more shows, and uh, I'll see you guys on the next episode. All right, buddy. Thanks a lot, man.